Good morning, my name's Steve Coward. I'm one of the pastors here at Fairhill Church, and I'm excited to be opening up the scriptures with you uh, this morning as we join together. If you have your Bible, if you want to use the app there on the webpage or on your phone or your device, you can turn with me to 2 Samuel. We're going to be in 2 Samuel 16, and then we'll be moving into 19 uh, this morning as well. And, and I just want to thank you all for joining us uh, this morning. We're so excited that that you're able to be a part of this time of, of worshiping together. We know that things are very different. It's, it's weird that we cannot gather together on Sunday morning and, and, and worship together and hear the word together. Um, but I would encourage you, let, let's, we're doing that now by doing this. We're, we're able to join together. Um, you're able to chat with one another. Um, as Casey told you earlier, text with each other uh, during this. Try to make this as communal as possible, um, even though um, we're not all able to be together this morning. Well, let me open us with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, that you are in control of all things. Uh, we thank you that nothing is outside of, of your control, of your power. Uh, we thank you that you have us all in the palm of your hand, and we thank you for your incredible graciousness towards us. We pray now this morning as, as we open your word together, would you speak to us uh, through your word? Would your words um, impress it deeply on our hearts? And as we hear your word, would we see Jesus? And him only, we pray in his name. Amen. Um, just the other day, I, I happened to see something that a, a fellow pastor had written, and it was actually about the movie Shrek. Um, and it was quite entertaining. If you've seen the movie Shrek, you, of course, are familiar with, with Lord Farquaad. And he is this, he, he's the villain of, of the movie, of, of course, and he so, he, he wants Princess Fiona to be his. And she's off in this castle far, far away, guarded, um, guarded by a dragon, and he, and he wants her to be his, uh, but he's too scared to go get her. So what does he do? He gathers together all of his knights, and they're going to have this kind of battle, if you will, to see who gets the reward of going to try to get uh, the princess uh, for him. And, and I just want to share with you real quick his speech, the speech that he gives to them uh, before they fight it out to see who's going to get the honor. He says this, brave knights, you are the best and the brightest in all of the land. Today, one of you shall prove himself. That champion shall have the honor, no, no, the privilege to go forth and rescue the lovely Princess Fiona from the fiery keep of the dragon. And if for any reason the winner is unsuccessful, the first runner-up will take his place, and so on and so forth, and some of you will die, but it's a sacrifice I am willing to make. Now, what this pastor said is really what, what, what Lord Farquaad is saying is something like this. He's saying, your hopes, your desires, your ambitions, your good name, and if necessary, your life are worth sacrificing in order to protect and to advance my own agenda. Some of you will die, but it's a sacrifice I'm willing to make because the ends justify the means. You see, Lord Farquaad, he was totally devoted to himself. It was all about him. 
And as we open up the scripture this morning, as we see a, a gentleman by the name of Ziba, we're going to see somebody, I think, somewhat similar who is all about advancing his own agenda, who is ultimately devoted to himself. But before we can jump in into there, we, we need to understand a little bit of the background of the story. Back in 2 Samuel 9, David had decided that he was going to look for a descendant of his best friend, Jonathan. Uh, he wanted to find one of his best friends so that he could show kindness for the sake of Jonathan, for the sake of his, his best friend. And so he goes out and he looks and he finds one individual, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, the only one left, and he was crippled. And David has him come before him, and, and Mephibosheth is shaken in his boots because he's expecting that he's probably going to be killed because he is the rightful heir to the throne, and, and David wouldn't want him anywhere near him, and he would probably get rid of him. But instead, David shows Mephibosheth incredible kindness. And he says to Mephibosheth, I want you to always eat at my table. And he gives to Mephibosheth everything that was his grandfather Saul's, everything that belonged to him, including his servant, Ziba. And so, as we approach our story this morning in 2 Samuel 16, David is now on the run. His son Absalom is mounting a rebellion against him, and David is forced to flee from Jerusalem. And while David is on the run, he meets up with Ziba, the, the, the servant of Mephibosheth, and this is what happens. Let's read, starting in verse 1. When David had passed a little beyond the summit, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of donkeys saddled, bearing 200 loaves of bread, 100 bunches of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, why have you brought these? And Ziba answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat. And the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, And where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he remains in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. So what does Ziba do? He brings these donkeys, 200 loaves of bread, 100 bunches of raisins, 100 summer fruits. He, he brings wine and he goes out to meet David. And this seems like an incredibly kind thing to do. An incredibly devoted thing to do for your king. But you see what David immediately asks. He says, where is your master's son? He immediately wants to know, where is Mephibosheth? Where is the one who, who always sits at my table? Where is your boss, if you will? And you heard what Ziba said. He said, behold, he remains in Jerusalem. For he said, today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. Ziba says that, that Mephibosheth is mounting a takeover of your kingdom. Now what we need to understand, and we'll get a little bit more to the reality later, the reality here is that Ziba is lying. Dave, Mephibosheth is not sitting at home trying to mount a comeback for his kingdom. Ziba is completely lying about it. And if we actually think about it, just think about what's going on. Ziba has brought all of these things to David, but who's... Things are these that he has given to David. The things that he has given are actually Mephibosheth's. So Ziba has brought all of Mephibosheth's stuff. He's given them to David. And we got to ask the question, why? What is he doing here? I think 
Ziba is trying to manipulate the whole situation. He is feigning devotion to David in order to win something, in order to get something bigger for himself. It's really likely greed that has motivated him. And what Ziba is doing, while it seems as though he is giving something to David, I think he's really giving something to himself. He's really giving to David so that he'll get stuff in return. What Ziba was saying was like what Lord Farquaad said, your hopes, desires, ambitions, good name, and if necessary, your life and are, are worth sacrificing in order to protect and to advance my agenda. Some of you will die, but it's a sacrifice I am willing to make. Back in my days in seminary, one of my professors, um, Dr. Waltke, he was the one who was, who was old and wise, and you, you, you thought you couldn't imagine anybody who walked closer uh, to Jesus. And one day he came into our classroom, and he was, he was upset. He was angry, and you immediately wonder, what's going on? And he began to tell us why. You see, in, in seminary, often professors would take books, and they would put them on loan, or they would put them on reserve in the library, and they weren't to be checked out. They were just put on reserve because everybody in the class needed access to them in order to complete their assignments. And so he had done that, but then evidently what some of my fellow students had done was decide to, whenever they took them off reserve and looked at them in the library, they decided to take them home with them and then not return them so that they, at their own leisure, could look at these books and complete their assignments while the rest of us weren't able to. And Dr. Walkie came in and he chastised the class, and I still remember the words that he said. He says, one of the greatest evils in the world is advantaging yourself to the disadvantage of others. Advantaging yourself, doing something for your own advantage to the disadvantage of others. You see, my, my, my fellow classmates were doing this because ultimately they were devoted to themselves. It was, it was about them. And so often, if we're honest, we act so similarly with God. If we think back to Ziba bringing these things to David, some, sometimes we, we bring things to God. And actually, we, we give things to God, but we give to him expecting something in return. Uh, maybe you've even seen it go something like this, where maybe for a time or for a season or whatever, you, you get up, you, you know, I, I, I've gotten up early in the morning, I, I've read my Bible, I, I've prayed, so I expect this is going to be a good day, and God must reward me, and, and things must go well for me. And we try to manipulate God. We, we, we can get to the place where we almost treat God like he's a vending machine. And if I put the right things into the vending machine, I put the right coins in, then he's got to give back to me. If I pray in the right way, if I read my Bible enough, if I'm nice enough to others, then he's going to have to give me in return. And what we actually see, what it is that we're doing, is we're really all about ourselves. We're really not giving to God. We're, we're not really doing it because we're devoted to God. We're doing it because we're devoted to ourselves. We give to him because, well, we're really not giving to him. We're really just giving to ourselves. Well, there's a problem here, of course, because this so completely mixes up what the gospel really says. The gospel doesn't say, here's all the things that you must do. The gospel says, Jesus has already done it all. He's already paid the price 
for you. It's not about your religious tokenism. It's not about you putting your things in the, in the, the vending machine hoping to get the things out. You know, I don't even know what it may look like for you as, we're, as you're at home, this coronavirus thing going on, the fears and stuff that you, you, you may have, the, the desires maybe even just to get out of the house and tired of being trapped in your house and, and maybe you have young kids and, and maybe that makes you feel even more trapped in your house and you, you just want to get out and, and, and you want to find ways, maybe if I can manipulate God, maybe if I pray the right way, maybe this whole thing, you know, May 15th, whatever the days are, maybe if I, if I pray enough, Maybe if I do enough, then it's going to get moved up. And we try to manipulate God. Just as we saw Ziba, I think, trying to manipulate David and trying to manipulate him. And and let's see, what is it that Ziba gets? What does he get in response? Look at verse 4. Then the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. David says, okay, I'm going to take all of that stuff that was Mephibosheth, and now it's yours. And Ziba says, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord, the king. David immediately assumes the worst of Mephibosheth, who had always been devoted to him. And he immediately assumes the best about Ziba. The problem is he he should have known better. You see, Mephibosheth wasn't in a place to be able to try to take over the kingdom. Mephibosheth struggled with a disability with his feet. We're not quite sure exactly what it was. But in those days, any sort of disability would would have kept you from ever even thinking of being able to become the king. Not to mention, when all this is going on, everybody who is anybody was supporting Absalom. Nobody was going to go and say, oh, no, we want Mephibosheth to be king. David knew these things. He he should have known these things. And not to mention, whenever Ziba gets finished, you know where Ziba goes? He doesn't go with David to go into the fight. He goes back to his farm. Ziba's concern was for himself. He was devoted to himself. And David, the one who was once so kind to Mephibosheth, who said, Mephibosheth, you will always eat at my table. He does an incredibly unkind thing, and he says... Ziba, I'm giving you all of Mephibosheth's stuff. Just the other day, I was watching a a documentary on the House of Windsor. You know, that house that rules uh, Great Britain, uh, the royal household of Great Britain. And and I was really fascinated as I was hearing and watching um, about Edward VIII. Um, Very fascinating. He fell in love with with a woman um, and named Mary Wallace, and she, she was previously divorced. And in that day, that was like a big no-no for anybody. There's no way you could get married in the church to somebody who had been divorced. And not to mention, you couldn't be the king and then demar- and marry a woman who had been divorced. It, it was unthinkable. It was impossible. But Edward was very devoted to Mary. In fact, he, he told her this. He said, I'm going to send Mr. Baldwin, that's the prime minister, I'm going to send to him and tell him to come meet me at my palace tomorrow. I'm going to tell him that if the country won't approve our marrying, I'm ready to go. The king says, if they won't approve my marriage, I'm out of here. I'm not going to be king anymore. And, and later on, she tries to talk him. She tries to talk him out of it. No, you don't want to do that. You don't want to give up being the king. 
And this is what Edward told her. He said the abdication documents are being drawn up. The cabinet is meeting this very moment to act upon them. Of course, you can do whatever you wish. You can go wherever you want to, to China, to Labrador, or to the South Seas, but wherever you go, I will follow you. And after he hung up, he immediately handed over his documents, formally declaring his intent to abdicate and had them sent to the prime minister. I mean, can you imagine that kind of devotion? Edward was so devoted to, to Mary Wallace that he was willing to give up everything. He was willing and, in fact, did give up being the king. That is devotion. And how incredibly different that is from, from Lord Farquaad or, or Zeba or even from us as we look out for ourselves and we are really not devoted to God, but so often find ourselves more devoted to ourselves, our own needs, our own desires. As we turn back to our story, we're going to jump ahead to, to chapter 19 of 2 Samuel. Now, at this point, Absalom is now de dead. So David no longer has anything to fear, so he returns to Jerusalem. He, he goes back to Jerusalem, and as he approaches, he immediately sees Mephibosheth. And this is what happens, verse 24. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. And here we begin to see the lies that Ziba had spun. Mephibosheth had been so distraught that he hadn't taken care of his feet. He was so distraught, he hadn't trimmed his beard, he hadn't even washed his clothes since David left. And, and these things, as, as, as Mephibosheth approaches David, he smells, his, his appearance is rough, but it's actually those very things that show his incredible devotion to his king, his, his devotion to David. Even the stench, that smell of Mephibosheth as he approaches David is the smell, is the scent of true devotion. And so David asks him, verse 25, he says, why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And listen to his answer. My lord, O king, my servant, this meaning Mephibosheth, deceived me. For your servant said, uh, meaning um, Ziba, um, my servant deceived me. For your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I may ride on it and go with the king. For your servant is lame. He has slandered your servant to my Lord, the king. But my Lord, the king, is like the angel of God. Do therefore it seems good to you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my Lord, the king. But you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I than to cry to the king? Here Mephibosheth makes it clear that he was deceived by Ziba. Ziba had, in fact, slandered him, and yet he remained completely devoted to David, and he remains completely devoted to David, even though David had given all of his stuff away. David had given all of his stuff to Ziba, and yet Mephibosheth's devotion is unmoved. He feels so blessed that, that he even has his life. 
that he's been allowed to eat at the king's table. He doesn't need anything else. He doesn't care about the stuff anymore. And he still submits himself to David and says, whatever you want, whatever you think is best, because I don't deserve anything from you, king. Now, with, with that kind of devotion, You'd expect David to come back with an incredibly softened heart that the one who had been so kind to Mephibosheth in the past would again show that kindness to him. But look at verse 29. And the king said to him, Why speak any more of your affairs? Stop talking about it. I don't want to hear anything about it. I don't know about you, but it's immediately taken back David, what incredible unkind. You've, you've just been met with such kindness, and your response is, don't speak to any more, me anymore about that. And he says, I've decided. You and Ziba shall divide the land. The words of the one who was so, once so kind to Mephibosheth, David responds to him so coldly. Mephibosheth's heart it must have sunk as he heard these words from, from his king, this one that he was so devoted to, didn't seem to really even care. Didn't seem to really even care about the devotion that he'd showed. And here we see that David was a real man, a man with real struggles. David wasn't always the king that he should have been. He often failed, and he fails right here. Now the most amazing part isn't how David responded. It's, it's now, how's, how's Mephibosheth going to respond? Given David saying, you know, I, I don't really want to hear your story and I'm going to still divide up the stuff. I'm going to let you have half, but Ziba, the one who conned me, is going to get the other half. Listen how Mephibosheth responds. Oh, let him take it all since my Lord the King has come home safely. Do, do you understand Mephibosheth's response? His response to the unkindness of his beloved king is to say, all I really care about is you. I, I, king, king David, I don't want your stuff. All I want is you. All I wanted was for you to be home safely. I, give Ziba everything. I don't care. All I want is you back home safely. You may have heard of the great missionary William Carey. He was a missionary to India, one of the, the pioneer in the world of missions. And one day as he was laying there dying, um, a devoted kind of follower of his, if you will, by the name of Alexander Duff, um, came to visit with him. And Duff was very um, impressed with who Carey was. He was very probably proud of his relationship with him. He, he was a very devoted follower of Carey's. And they visited for a while. They prayed at the end. And, and then as, as Duff was, was leaving, Carey calls him back and he says, come here, come here. I have one last thing to tell you. And he says this. He says, Mr. Duff, you have been speaking about Dr. Carey. Dr. Carey. He'd been over and over talking about Dr. Carey this, Dr. Carey that, and his, his devotion to Dr. Carey, the great missionary, was showing, and how much he thought of Dr. Carey because of the way that he had been talking with him. But Carey continues, and he says, when I am gone, say nothing about Dr. Carey. 
speak about Dr. Carey's Savior. And so that moment on his deathbed, Carey, one, one who had a great legacy, one who you could be impressed with, one who we still talk about today, but his concern was not that you or I be talking about Dr. Carey. His concern was that we be talking about his Savior, that we be reminded of Jesus. He had a singular devotion towards his Savior. He wasn't concerned or desirous for Mr. Duff to, to puff him up. He wanted to make much of Jesus. Question for you this morning. Could, could, would you say something similar? Speak not about me. Speak about my Savior. You know, as we think about Mephibosheth's devotion to David, it's but a pale comparison of the type of devotion that you and I should have for our great God. The type of devotion that we should have for Christ. And we need to be constant, we need to be thinking, are, are we so devoted that we would be willing to say to Jesus, all I really want is you. I'm not concerned with what I might can get out of that divine vending machine if I put in the right things. I, 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 I'm not coming to you. I'm, I'm not devoted to you because I'm hoping to get things back. I'm devoted to you because I'm devoted to you because I love you. And not for any of your stuff. I'm, I'm not coming to you for your stuff, but that's so hard for us, isn't it? Because so often we are like Lord Farquaad. We are like Zeba. It's, it can be so easily become all about us, all, all about what we can get out of God. We, we become consumed with our life. We become consumed with our stuff. We become consumed with things like our own comfort. comfort. And something like the coronavirus hits and, and our, 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 our comfort is completely kind of thrown out of the window. As, as we find our life not going exactly like we would like it as we, we find there being fears, as, as we find ourselves not being able to live that comfortable life that we've enjoyed living and been enjoying living, and, and, and we get irritable and we get frustrated with it. And, and you know, even just this week, you know, I'm, I'm trying to set up a home office, so I needed an office chair. And so I go out and evidently, I guess everybody else is buying office chairs too. So it wasn't very easy to find one. And I go to several stores and what begins to happen, I begin to get frustrated. And, you know, here I am, you know, it's kind of like the walking dead or something. I feel like I'm going out to get provisions and I'm, I'm afraid what might happen. And when something's going to, you know, somebody's going to like cough on me or something and, and I can't find this chair, where, you know, where am I going to get it? And I, I begin to get frustrated and get a bit angry because why? Because where I was centering myself because where I was finding my joy was, was, was not in Christ. Where I was finding my rest was not in him. Where I was finding my devotion was not in him. I was really devoted to myself right then. I was devoted to trying to make myself happy with finding that right chair that's going to make my world all okay. We're always looking for those things, aren't we? We're always looking for that next thing that's somehow going to make us happy. And when anything gets in between, we get irritable, we get upset. Because we can become so consumed with being devoted to ourselves 
instead of being devoted to our Savior. But I hope what we're, we're being reminded of this morning is as we see Mephibosheth's devotion to David in that pale comparison, we're, we're de- reminded of that kind of devotion that we should have towards our God, that we should have towards Jesus. Can we say with, with William Carey that our greatest concern is that we and others speak about Jesus, not about us? You know, I'm reminded of Job. Job, the one, he, he basically lost everything. He, he lost all of his stuff. He lost his children. His wife basically walks out on him. And in the midst of that, what does he say? He tells us something incredible that tells us about where his devotion, I think, really lies. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's totally devoted. He's lost so much. His life has become incredibly uncomfortable. He's covered with boils and all sorts of stuff. And what does he say? The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord because he is so devoted to his great God. Because he is so devoted to his Savior, as he says in chapter 19, for I know that my Redeemer lives and at last he will stand upon the earth. His devotion is founded ultimately, even years and years before, his devotion is ultimately founded in Christ. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Philippians 3, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You know, what we're talking about this morning, it's not an easy thing. The expectation isn't that we're going to, okay, now what I'm going to do is the rest of this day and this week, I'm going to become more devoted. I'm going to be a more devoted Christian. I'm going to be more devoted to Jesus. Do we need to do those things? Absolutely. But we need to be careful because the, the real problem isn't these things that we think we do that make us devoted. The problem is our heart. And what we need is Christ working his way deeper and deeper into our heart through the power of Holy Spirit and through the work of Holy Spirit in our hearts. You see, this will happen. We we will find ourselves more and more devoted as we become more and more convinced of who Jesus really is and what he has really done for us. Mephibosheth was so devoted to David because he understood how incredible the grace that he had been offered by David was. That he wasn't just killed, but that he was brought into the king's household. That that the king had said to him, you shall always eat at my table. And and that incredible grace and mercy that had been shown him, he could never forget it. That was enough for him. You and I, we need to be reminded again and again of the incredible mercy and the incredible grace of God. It's all about him. It's what he's done. That he has placed his incredible love on us, and even though we don't deserve it. And it doesn't mean, though, that we don't need to be devoted to him. 
Okay? Don't, don't hear me say, well, then you don't need to go pray and you don't need to read your Bible. You, you just need to sit there and wait for God to somehow make you more devoted. No, we need to focus ourselves more and more on Him. We need to be reminded of His incredible kindness towards us. Do you know, do you really understand how kind your God has been to you in Christ? And when we begin to get that, we can't help but be devoted to Him. We can't help but be totally sold out to Him. Our lives begin to change. We can handle different, difficult situations like the coronavirus. We can handle them differently because we are devoted to the one who has given everything for us. So, as we conclude, I just want to encourage you. Use this time. Use this time that you have right now where you have more time at home to your advantage. Grow in your devotion, but by spending more time with him in the word and prayer, not going to the word and prayer, thinking of it as a vending machine where you're going to get something out of it, where he's going to have to or be forced to bless you, or you're going to force his hand, not to manipulate him. Or because you hope that you're going to be getting something in return, but you go and you do that so that you will grow in your devotion to him. That as you read, as you pray, as you, you talk with your Father in heaven, that, that your devotion to him grows and it wells up in your heart. And you can't help but maybe even speak those same words of Mephibosheth that I don't want your stuff. I just want you, King. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. that we have you. It's so easy to forget. It's so easy to be consumed by the things of this world. It's so easy to put our hope and stock in the things of the here and now. Would you help us this day and every day in the future to more and more have our hope founded in our Savior who has rescued us, who has redeemed us? Would you help us to find more and more time to spend with you. And out of that, we would find ourselves more and more devoted to you. Would you be at work in our hearts, changing it? That we, with each passing day, would find ourselves more madly in love with you. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Now hear these words as a blessing to us all, as words of benediction as we go forward into the rest of this day and the week ahead. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations and forevermore. Amen. God bless you all. We hope you all have a great week.